Thank you, Matt. Fantastic to be here. I've been on the team here at Woody's with my wife, Nikki, since July. Uh, but probably the people I know the least are you wonderful-looking people. You look very lovable and friendly. So thank you for, uh, thank you for having me here. And uh, who needs video entries when you've got Matt? You don't need anything more than Matt, do you? But, um, but he is right. It is a new sermon series on priorities. Uh, and the priority that I have been uh, asked to speak on is that of uh, reaching the nations, uh, which is a subject massively uh, close to my heart. It feels like a real privilege uh, to be speaking on this. Uh, but I guess even more important than what I think uh, is what uh, Jesus thinks, isn't it? Jesus is a good place to start. And of course, those of you who read the Bible, uh, those of you who are familiar with the Gospels, uh, will know that Jesus spoke repeatedly about the importance of the nations. So places like Mark chapter 11, verse 17, where he said that my house will be a house for all nations. Mark 13, verse 10, he speaks about first preaching the Gospel to the nations. And then probably a passage that many of you uh, will know. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 19, he speaks about making disciples in the nations, going to the nations. And of course, the, uh, you know, the great uh, invitation we have to work with God in the nations, it's not just limited to the New Testament, is it? For those of you who know the Old Testament, you will see that in the Old Testament, we get a real glimpse of God as a missionary God. Right from his very first calling of Abraham, one of the first people that God ever called to himself. He said to Abraham in Genesis 12 that he wanted uh, Abraham and his descendants to bless the nations. And then you may remember the story when uh, God's people end up in Egypt and God does that amazing work of deliverance and freedom as he brings them out of Egypt. And there within the text we're told in uh, Exodus 9, Verse 14 and 16, we're told that part of the amazing work that God did in Egypt in freeing his people was so that his name would be known in all the nations. And then in Exodus 14, we're actually told that some of those who left Egypt, uh, the word in the text is a, a kind of mixed multitude. It wasn't just the people of God. There were people from other nations as well that moved out uh, with God's people. And then a heart and passion for the nations became a part of the worship life of God's people. We see this in Psalms, don't we? For those of you who, who read the book of Psalms, you know, Psalms like Psalm 67, Psalms 96, Psalm 117, full of reference to the nations and God's sovereign rule over them. But I guess we can't forget the prophets, can we? The Old Testament prophets. Isaiah 49 verse 6 speaks about God's people being a light to the nations. Yes, they sadly never lived up to that call, but that was part of what they were meant to be about and really should have stepped up to, even though they failed to. And then we see there's even you know, whole books of the, the Bible, books like Jonah, which are full of God's heart uh, for the nations. And of course, within the text of different, so many different stories in the Bible, uh, we see people from outside the so-called people of God. We see non-Jews being really central. People like Balaam, Naaman, Ruth, Rahab, Jethro, Melchizedek. You know, big Old Testament characters that were from other peoples scattered across the face of the earth. And so when we look at the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, we need have no doubt 
that God is absolutely passionate and for all nations. But the question for us tonight to consider is, where does this leave us? If this is a massive passion of God, if this is almost an attribute of who he is, his love and care for the nations, where does it leave us? And particularly, I want us to think, where does it leave us when the, when the kind of shape of world mission is so different today compared to what it maybe has been in recent centuries? What do I mean by this? Well, do you know that as many as 2.5 billion people now identify as Christians? It's an astonishing number, isn't it? And that is something to celebrate. 2.5 billion people identify themselves as Christians. Another amazing statistic, which again we can celebrate, is that 95% of people now have access to either a portion of Scripture in a language that they understand, the Jesus film, Christian radio, or at least a gospel recording. And then, of course, we have the amazing growth of the church in parts of the world, which would have been our historic focus so far as going to the nations is concerned. Is anyone from Africa here tonight? I'm sure there is. Uh, you know, the growth of the church in Africa has just been amazing. There are now more Christians in Africa than there are in Europe. There are now more Christians in Central and South America combined than there are in Europe. And this is just so different compared to how things were, even 100 years ago. Do you know, 100 years ago, there was twice as many Christians living in Europe than any other part of the world. In 2050, it's expected that only 16% of global Christians will be living in Europe. Only 16%. And with this, with the growth of the church at other places, we've had what some people would refer to as reverse mission taking place. We've seen increasing numbers of missionaries from other nations, we might call it the global south, coming to Europe and actually feeling a sense of indebtedness because so many missionaries, so many cross-cultural workers went out from Europe, they have that sense of debt that they want to pay back and they see that the church in Europe to some extent is struggling and so they want to do mission and they refer to it as reverse mission. And another amazing facet of the changed nature of international mission that you may be aware of has been the huge growth of indigenously-led uh, disciple-making movements. There are actually thousands of these movements in the world now. I had the great privilege a few years ago going to Kenya and spending time with Lifeway Mission. And Lifeway are operating in 18 different countries. It's led by, uh, by Kenyans and other East Africans. Eight, they operate in 18 countries and they've planted, I think it's 13,000 churches. It's just staggering. And you just marvel at the, the new things in the new ways that God is working. And what about the, what about the Bible? You may well be aware that as so far as mission is concerned, huge strides have been taken in Bible translation. 
Today, the whole Bible has been translated into 717 languages. 717 languages. And this means that 6 billion people can now read the Bible in a language that they at least understand. And of course, we have the, uh, obviously we've got the internet now as well. And actually, I should say on the Bible, I was struck, you know, the huge numbers of Bibles. You know, there's as many as 100 million Bibles that are printed each year now. 100 million Bibles printed each year. And I was really struck by this recently when I was, uh, when I was in Sudan. Myself and Nikki, we do a little bit of work with a, a church planting organization that offers kind of peer support to um, uh, indigenous church planters in some of the, the toughest parts of the world. And I was, in, I was in Sudan, and they had so many uh, copies of the Bible in, in Arabic. Uh, they get them from, uh, from Egypt. Uh, and I said to the guy that uh, was, was kindly hosting us, I said, gosh, you know, these Bibles are really expensive back here in the UK. And as soon as I said it, he got me this box of uh, Arabic Bibles. I said, you must take them back with you. Uh, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't refuse. And so I uh, packed my suitcase with them. And uh, the funny moment, going through uh, Khartoum Airport, I'd entered the country absolutely fine. And then on my way out of the country, for whatever reason, the authorities asked me to open my suitcase. And um, I'd put all these, uh, I didn't want them to get damaged, I'd put them all on the top. And uh, they just saw all these Arabic Bibles, and they were having this huge debate. I don't think they knew what to do with me. Uh, you know, you hear about getting done for smuggling Bibles into countries, and I was thinking, well, surely I can't be done for smuggling a Bible out of a country. And uh, in the end, they said it was fine, and uh, I could take them back with me, although they uh, politely declined my invitation that they might have one. But uh, that's fair enough. But it's just amazing to see the, the accessibility uh, to God's Word. And, of course, the Internet. You know, it's 62% of the world's population now now have access uh, to the internet, 62%. And of course, that is opening up amazing creative uh, possibilities uh, for reaching so many uh, different people. But I do wonder if my, uh, my local pub in Bedminster does not quite fit in that 62% figure. Uh, it's certainly in the 40% because, uh, you know, somewhat bizarrely, I was thinking about this uh, talk in the pub on Friday and uh, someone's taxi didn't turn up. And then the conversation was, did anyone have the phone number of another taxi number? Now, can you believe there's over 30 people in this pub? I was the only one with a smartphone. And uh, bizarre, isn't it? They ended up shaking my hands. They were so appreciative of the fact that I could order this taxi for them. But uh, anyway, so not everyone has the internet, do they? But, um, so 60% access to the internet. And another, uh, another fascinating statistic that you're, you're probably not aware of is that... Um, uh, the church, the global church now, is a lot less concentrated than it used to be. What do I mean by this? Well, what I mean is, is that again, 100 years ago, 95% of Christians lived in Christian majority countries. But today, it's just 53% of Christians live in, live in majority Christian countries. Now, of course, at one level, we might say, oh, that's a shame. We want everyone to live in uh, Christian-majority nations. Uh, but, of course, the, the benefit of this uh, statistic is it means that more people now have access to Christians. Whereas 100 years ago, only 5% uh, percent of those who wouldn't count themselves as Christians were able to identify uh, a Christian in their life. It's thought now that 18% of non-Christians can identify a Christian. 
and that's because the church is much more globally scattered uh, than it once was. So given all these statistics, and you're still with me, aren't you? Give me a yes. You're still with me. So given all these amazing statistics, where does it leave us? Well, certainly it leaves us with a, an appreciation of the changing face of mission, doesn't it? It really does. But does it mean that we can just kind of put our feet up and not do much and celebrate the fact that 2.5 billion people are now Christians? Does it leave that? Well, I'm not sure uh, that it does. I've got a little photo here that I think Amy is uh, going to show. And... Uh, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't win any awards uh, for this picture, that's for sure. I never imagined that I'd be showing it publicly when I took it. Uh, but I came across this poster uh, as she was in Kenya when I went to stay with Lifeway Mission, uh, this disciple-making uh, indigenous mission organization that I mentioned before. I went to Lifeway in, in 2018, uh, and as I was uh, visiting it, uh, I saw these posters uh, around the, uh, the kind of headquarters uh, with different people groups. That's a Somali uh, people group that is mentioned uh, on there. Uh, and this language of, um, you know, we've never met a follower of Jesus Christ, never heard any good news, along with two billion others like us. And I found myself thinking, what are we saying that two billion people have still never met a follower of Jesus? And in my arrogance, I thought, well, that can't be right, can it? How arrogant was that? thought, that can't be right. Uh, and when I got back to uh, the UK, I did a little bit of research. And we've got a next slide now. Thank you, Amy. And this is, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Joshua Project. But if you have an interest in the nations, uh, there's almost no better resource to look at than the Joshua Project. And many of the statistics that I'm saying tonight have been sourced from the amazing work of some of the leading uh, practitioners in these areas. And the red dots on this slide uh, correspond to unreached people groups. Uh, and it's interesting reading. So in the world, there are 17,500 people groups. And this language of people group is actually really relevant to when we look at the stuff that Jesus said. Because in the Greek, uh, the word for nation really is better translated people group. So those who might have an, a common affinity with geography uh, or culture uh, or tribe or whatever. So 17,500 people groups. And of those 17,500 people groups in the world, 7,000 are counted as unreached. And to be counted as an unreached people group, you have less than 2% of your people group would call themselves Christians. So 7,000 people groups, less than 2% uh, contain followers of Jesus. And these 7,000 people groups actually add up to 3.3 billion people. 3.3 billion people. That's 42% of the world's population. And these aren't just abstract numbers, are they? These are real living people, individuals who Jesus died for. So yes, we celebrate the fact that 2.5 billion people today identify as Christians. But we, hold, we should hold very closely on our hearts that there are still over 5 billion people who don't know Jesus. 
And of those 5 billion, there are 3.3 billion whose people groups contain less than 2% believers. And of those 7,000 people groups, 5,000 of them contain less than 1% of Christians. 5,000 people groups have less than 1% identification with Jesus. And those 5,000 people groups correspond to nearly 2 billion people. So the logical consequence of reading that statistic is that nearly 25% of the world's population have virtually no chance of meeting another Christian from their own people group. This is big stuff, isn't it? This is serious stuff. So whilst we see all these amazing statistics of the astonishing growth of the church, missions work in the nations, it is qualified by the task that still lies before us, which I guess is why I'm so uh, passionate about it. And this task is simply too great for us to ignore. For those who've been part of the church for a while, you'll know that uh, when Jesus sends out the disciples and we're included within that in Matthew 28, it became commonly known as the Great Commission. And that phrase uh, was actually thought to have been developed by Justinian von Welsh, uh, who was a missionary uh, from Austria in the 1600s. He went out to Suriname in South America and actually like, sadly, like so many amazing pioneer missionaries. Uh, he'd done his training and stuff, but sadly he died after just three months, uh, died of malaria in Suriname. Uh, but his writings actually lived on and the legacy of his writings. And within his writings, it's thought that he was the first person to have used the term the Great Commission. And of course, it is great. It's great in its reach because the commission that God gives us to the nations is for absolutely every single person because Jesus died for all. It's great in its results because we're talking about people coming into a living relationship with God through Jesus. Peter in Acts 4 verse 12 is absolutely specific that there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved other than Jesus. And as many of you will know here, once you come to know the uniqueness of Jesus, your life is transformed. For some it's very quick, for others it's more gradual. But his love, his hope, his power, his kindness transforms you. So it's great in its reach, it's great in its results, but it is also great in its responsibility. And as we look at these figures to do with the unreached in the world, I would suggest to you that this is a responsibility that we all need to take absolutely seriously. And so just a few practical things to maybe help you. You may be doing some of these things already, but just I'll just throw some practical things out and maybe God through his spirit might put his uh, finger on one or two of these things so that you can apply them. So what does it look like for you to be walking in responsibility so far as the nations is concerned? Well, 
Firstly, you absolutely have to be praying. You've got to be praying. And actually, I would suggest that actually you pray a little bit systematically, a little bit structured. Maybe you think about the nations that are on your heart and you actually say, do you know what? I'm going to pray for these. I'm going to pray for this nation or more than one nation. Maybe I'm going to do it once a week. Maybe there's a particular day of the week that I can say, actually, that's the day that I'm going to remember this nation or I'm going to remember this particular people group. The Joshua Project that I mentioned, they have an app uh, and it's called the Unreached of the Day. And uh, fairly predictably, every different day of the year has a different unreached people group. It's just a brilliant app. Uh, I would encourage you with that. So firstly, uh, we pray. Uh, secondly, maybe you might want to consider spiritually adopting a people group. Maybe you want to consider adopting one of the 5,000 groups that has less than 0.1% of Christians. There are actually 100 uh, unreached uh, people groups that comprise nearly 2 billion uh, people who are the most unreached. Maybe you want to take one of those 100 groups. I personally uh, have adopted the Somali people. The Somali people are 0.01% Christian. 0.01% Christian. And that's a group that I pray for. It's a group that I embarrass my uh, two boys with because I've learned a little bit of Somali. And whenever I see a Somali person, I, you can imagine, can't you? I, what's the word? I, you know, fire off a few Somali sentences. My boys at that point normally step aside and uh, looks of embarrassment. I think the best was when I realized that um, Joel, our eldest, is uh, his maths teacher uh, for a time at Samaria. Rickliffe was, was, was Somali. And so at parents' evening, I started doing this. And I think he, uh, he just wanted to die on the spot. But, uh, but maybe for you, maybe there is a, a people group that you could adopt and that you can ask God to share his heart with you. So it doesn't just become a thing of the mind, but it becomes a real thing of the emotions, becomes part of you that you're willing to, to pray for and commit to and to ask the Lord maybe to bring you know, some of these people from that people group across your path. So you might want to pray. You might want to spiritually adopt a group. You might want to go. You might want to go. There is still a place and a context for going. It may be that you have a particular skill that is transferable and that you could operate with that skill amongst a tribe, amongst a people group that is unreached. You know, when you speak to the, uh, the global south, these, uh, you know, hugely growing missional movements, they do not want to be doing this stuff on their own. They're absolutely committed to a sense of partnership with the church in the other parts of the world. And they want to, they want to be receiving people. And so maybe there might even be someone here tonight and you may just know that, you know, you've thought about this. Well, maybe, well, maybe now is the time just to investigate it a bit more. And let me encourage you as well, if you are open to going long-term somewhere, let me encourage you, even challenge you, to actually focus on an unreached people group. Now, we thank God for all missionaries. Uh, nearly all missionaries are doing amazing work around the world, or cross-cultural workers. I think missionaries now are very much on the ball now with doing things in ways that are culturally uh, appropriate. Um, 
But you know that the, the global missionaries, you know, if you, if you were to do a study of the entire missionaries across the world, only 3% work with the most unreached. So only 3% of global missionaries are working amongst those 7,000 people groups. There are 30 times more missionaries working with the reached people groups than the unreached. Now, we thank God for all missionaries. I'm not knocking any missionaries. The level of sacrifice that is, is, you know, is involved is worthy of respect and support and prayer. But alongside this, we need to really be raising up more people long-term to focus on the unreached. That 3% of missionaries are only doing that is simply not enough. And of course, the second dimension of going is that you might want to go short-term. And there are plenty of opportunities to do that. And if short-term mission appeals to you, maybe speak to one of the, the regular team that you see here on a Sunday evening. And we can fix those opportunities up. And of course, with short-term mission, actually you can build long-term relational contacts. And it can just be amazing. I had the amazing privilege a few years ago. I had a sabbat three-month sabbatical as a missionary. Uh, as a missionary, as a, as a minister, uh, I wish. And uh, it's all right as a minister. But... Um, uh, you know, three, three months sabbatical, and I went to a, uh, I went to a country in Africa, which is one of the most, the most closed countries, uh, one of the most closed countries in Africa. And I had the amazing privilege of sharing the gospel on a beach. Uh, there was eight guys, eight guys on the beach, and um, being honest, it was one of the most profound moments of my whole life. Uh, and these guys asked me. Well, I, I opened the conversation, you know, I led the way with the conversation, but they then asked me to explain about Jesus. I drew a cross on the, on the beach there, and I knew that none of, them, none of them had ever heard the gospel before, and I then prayed with them. And that was a privilege, and that was a short-term, that was a short-term mission trip. And I think the other dynamic could go, and you can go long-term, you can go short-term, or actually you can just go across the street, <laughs> Go for a walk in Bristol. The nations are here. The nations are here and we're called to serve them. We're called to love them. We're called to respect them. But we're also called to reach them. And maybe the Lord will open your eyes. Maybe it's your people on your street, your neighbours, work colleagues. Maybe there are those around from different nations, even unreached nations, unreached people groups. And the Lord will just put his spirit on, on some people who you already know. And of course, you might, uh, you might consider giving. I've said before, I said that uh, only 3% of missionaries uh, work amongst the most unreached. Uh, do you know, uh, last statistic of the night, I'm sure you'd be glad to know. But do you know that the, uh, the entire money, the entire amount of money that is used in, uh, in global mission, only 1% of that is focused on the most unreached. Only 1%. So we've got only 3% of missionaries doing it. We've got only 1% of global Christian uh, missional giving goes to the most unreached. So these figures are almost undetectable. They're so small. Now, thank, thank God for Woody's here that you have a, a wonderfully, maybe biased because I'm on the team, but I can say I've not been on the team too long. You've got a very well-led church here. And so you can have confidence here that actually that your giving to Woody's here is being used for the most productive and strategic purposes. So you can be confident of that. And then even over and above that, uh, there may be contexts that you hear of 
which are opportunities amongst the most unreached that you can give to. I know my friends at the moment in, uh, in northern, uh, northern Kenya and the, the most unreached parts of Ethiopia wanted to raise finances for motorbikes because they want to travel even more into the most uh, remote areas. I've got another friend who's running a, running a safe house. Uh, this is for Christians who have persecuted and they've just had to flee. Uh, and, uh, and it's just tough. So, so many different opportunities for using money in appropriate uh, relational ways. So that's about it. Pray, spiritually.people group, go and give. That's all right, isn't it? Can I pray for you? We need to pray, don't we? So I'm going to invite the band back up. And as they come back, if you're able to, let me invite you to stand and let us pray together. Father God, we want to thank you for your presence. We want to thank you, Lord, for your love for the nations. Conscious, Lord, that I've just given a lot of statistics. But I also know, Lord, that you are a God who sees the one. You're a God who cares for the one. We remember passages of Scripture like Luke 15. The lost coin, the lost son the lost sheep, your care for the one. And I pray, Father God, that you would keep our hearts tender. You would keep our emotions tender as we think about those billions who don't know you. As we think about those two billion people who at this moment in time are so unlikely to ever meet a Christian. And we ask you, Father God, to keep doing the miraculous. We ask you, God, to be independently meeting with people through your spirit, through dreams, through visions, through revelation. And we thank you for that. But we ask you, Lord, to also use us. I also think about Bible translation, Lord. I forgot to say this in the second part, that we thank you for the amazing Bible translation work but we also know that one in five people are still not able to read the Bible in their own language. There's 4,000 languages that the Bible has not yet been translated into. And Lord, maybe there might even be someone here tonight who has a skill in languages that you want to use. You've made us, Lord. You've shaped us. We say it humbly, but we know, Lord, that you have given us skills and gifts. And we just want to use it for the priority of serving the nations. And so I just want to pray for each of my friends here tonight. And maybe as I do this, just as a sign of your availability, you might just want to stretch out your arms. Just to the Lord, just a sign of your openness to the Lord in this priority area. And Lord, you know these lovely people so well. And I pray even now, Lord, that if there are people groups that you want to put on their hearts, on their minds, that you would do so. It may be, Lord, that some people here, you've spoken into their lives in the past about this priority area of reaching the nations, and you just want to rekindle that. And there might be, Lord, even people here for the very first time tonight who are beginning to hear the first whisper 
of your call to go and to go in a new way. So Holy Spirit, we ask for your wisdom, your power, your love. And our prayer above all prayers is that we would be obedient in our response to you. Amen.